like I said, I had something else planned for today, and then um, God changed it on Wednesday. Maybe it was Tuesday night. It's been a long couple weeks. Um, we've been in this ser- the sermon series on sustenance, and I was going to go off topic of that, and then I'm landing back on topic of that. And as I was praying through that, or whatever night it was, and I didn't sleep, it's been most nights, um, God said, hey, you know what, about Sunday, yeah, different plan. Sustenance, we've been looking at that. We've looked at that, the, the sustenance that God provides through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through the church as a body. But as I was thinking about that, there's an element of sustenance that, that we hadn't had on our radar, and that is the source of the sustenance. And just going straight to the rock bottom source of where that sustenance comes from. We've been working through this um, definition, as you recall. But as I was laying in bed Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whenever it was, God said, I am. I am. I am the source. That every word that comes from, the Holy Spirit that emanates through, the person who, who you pray to, the body who, who is connected to the head, I am the source. I am. And so I started with that, and as I was going through um, my prayer time in bed that night, I was reminded of Exodus. You know the story of the burning bush when Moses is, is there. And he, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. And he sees this bush that's not being consumed. And he's talking to the living God Almighty. And he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, right? And they have that conversation. And he's still trying to get out of it maybe. And he asks, well, if I go back and tell them, who do I say sent me? Suppose I go to them, the Israelites, and they say, and say to them, the God of your fathers, which is typically how he was addressed, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. If I go to them and tell them that you sent me, and they ask, well, what's his name? Who sent you? Then what do I tell them? Who do I tell them that sent me to come and start this exodus? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is who you tell him sent you. That I am sent you. And as we actually read this, we actually read it in the third person, but the way it was written, because God spoke his very own name and revealed who he was, he spoke in the first person, and it really is, I will be who I will be. It's like saying, I, I will go, but in the third person, well, Tim will go. But I will be. And that's his covenant name. He revealed his name, which talks about his character. And he said, you want to know who I am? I will. And as he tells Moses in this setting, I will be with you. I will deliver my people. I will lead them. I will, I will lead them into the promised land. I will feed them. I will discipline them. I will save them. I will love them. I will, I will, because I am. 
And you cannot separate the name of God from the character of God because his name dictates what his character and who his character is. And so Moses goes. And he reveals in this context, almost for the first time ever, the name of God. They knew him, but now they know him much more intimately. The Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, has sent me. And then you know the story, right? The rest of the, that's Exodus, right? Now we're going to skip to the New Testament. And we know what they fumble through and, and how, they, how they don't keep their end of the bargain, but God always kept his end of the bargain. And in the midst of the I will, he says, I will send my anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. I will certainly come to you. I will give you a new covenant. I will write it on your heart. I will, I will, I will, because I am. Then he was silent. But his silence doesn't mean that he messed up. That he was vagrant on his promises. Delinquent. He was coming at just the right time, his time, because he owns the watch of everything. And so he came. John chapter 1. Ready? The word, the essence of God, the thought of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw him. We beheld him. Came full of truth and grace. And we beheld him. And some believed and, and many didn't. But he came, fulfilling the promise of the great I am that I will certainly come to you. And so he came. And it's interesting in Exodus, um, you know, Moses kind of begs the question, well, who do, I, who do I tell him sent me? And then it's interesting that most often when Jesus came on the scene and we're going to run, like literally run through these seven I am statements, it really wasn't in the context of somebody asking him, well, what, what's your name? You see, they, they thought they knew who he was. Every time he tried to explain to them who he really was, they're like, no, 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 you're the carpenter's son. Like, we know Mary, your mom. Like, I borrowed some bread from her the other day. Like, come on, you're from heaven. But he does. Maybe knowing their questions that they were afraid to ask or just declaring that, no, I am now back in the flesh or here in the flesh. In this first statement, Jesus says in, in John six thirty five through 40, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, but you still do not believe. You see, before this, he had fed miraculously thousands of people. And then he sailed across the, the lake, and they showed up there, and they're like, give us a second meal. And he's like, a second meal? I'm the one who's come down from heaven. Like, what? Like, give us something to eat. Like, Moses gave our ancestors manna. Like, what do you got? And he's like, no, no, no. Moses didn't. God did. I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven. I am. And if you believe in me, I will fill you forever. Right? He's come to fill the emptiness of humanity, that space that has been broken so long ago in the garden. 
that whoever believes, whoever believes that that brokenness, that emptiness, that void will be filled and will be fixed. So I am the bread of life. And all those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. That I am the bread of life. The so many things of this world you try to fill yourself with will never fill the void. But he comes in the flesh, and he came in the flesh to fill that void that is inside of all of humanity. Because he is the great I am. And then after that, he, he spoke this saying, the second I am statement. That when Jesus spoke again, he said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and will have the light of life. You see, in this chapter, chapter 8, there's like verse, uh, chapter 7 through 9, there's a lot of discourse and a lot of debating on who Jesus is. And right now in the backdrop of this is the Feast of Tabernacles where they would come to Jerusalem and worship what God did in the midst of their people so long ago. And in the midst of leading them in the desert through all that time, there was a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them so they would have the light of life to lead them. And now he comes and they're celebrating that and he puts that together for them. But they still don't understand it. And then later on in chapter 9, Jesus will literally heal a person who is blind, spiritual blindness, and they still won't understand what he reiterates again in chapter 9. I am the light of the world. Right? Peter would say in the letter that he wrote, um, he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 1 around verse 17 that, that he called you out of the dominion and darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. He's the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And as we have that light, we, can, we, we walk in that light. You know, and, and like what I, I shared earlier in the, in the singing time, like sometimes I, I want that light to be like a, a flashlight up the road. <laughs> and it's just like, no. And I'm just praying. I just want to take the next step. But he, he, brings, he brings total light to understanding the big picture. And I, I, I want to know some of still the details of the, the little picture of the next step. But regardless... I don't have to to grope around in the dark wondering what will save me, for I know he has saved me. And I know if my heart is right to try and walk in the right way, he'll lead me. And even if I do um, go down a wrong path somehow while seeking him with everything I have, he he can create some shortcuts. (laughs) You know, kind of like shoots and ladders, right? He can like, whoop, go back down here. That's where you're supposed to be. But we're not lost in darkness. 
And darkness is, is a lack of understanding. Darkness is a kingdom that is against God. We sang about that when we were still foes. He fought for me. The third I am statement, he says this in John 10, 7, 7 through 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Right? There's only one entry into the pasture of God for ultimate sustenance, for life, is through the, his gate. And he had already, already explained verses 1 through 6, what he, what he reiterates here. He already said it, but they didn't understand, so then he got more detailed. But earlier in the chapter, he says that the thieves, you know what they do? They climb in the back over the gate, or, you know, over the fence. They don't come through the gate. They break in, and then they try to mimic and steal and kill and rob and all the things they do. They're fake. They're false. They're illegitimate. But you know what? They're cunning. Right? They do their best to mimic, to, to masquerade. Because that's what Satan does. But their purpose is to kill and destroy. But God has given us discernment that we know his voice versus the voice of the thieves. And he goes on to say, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy, but I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. Right? And I love that visual that he's the gate and we enter through him and we find pasture. Right? And that's a huge theme of the shepherd in, in, in Israel that led his people. Psalm 23, this pasture that he brings his people to are to sustain them, to feed them, to nourish them. And so he's reiterating that here. He said, that's the shepherd, or that's the gate that I am. You come in through me and you have life to the full. You have it complete. You have it abundant. I supply, I sustain you beyond your even greatest needs. And I have come. And then he goes on in verse 11. And he clarifies that not only is he the gate, he says, I am the good shepherd. Right? That is a central theme of the Israelites. So the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. You see, in the midst of that, there's intimacy of knowledge of who, the, who between God and the son and they know each other. And then that same intimacy is, is expected or is, is allowed for or is given that between the shepherd and the sheep, they know each other intimately. They know by voice. He leads them out by name. He knows he needs a little kick in the, in the behind to get in line, but he knows them because he knows them intimately. And we know him because we know him through his word. We know him through prayer. We have the Holy Spirit in us. All those things that we've already looked at that sustain us. He says, my sheep know my voice. They know me and I know them. And as the shepherd, he does two key things here. He lives sacrificially, which is what we celebrated in communion. 
he was saying this beforehand, but there was a time that was coming shortly after this, right, that, he, that the proof would be in the pudding. You said you would do that. Now let's see if you really do. And when you did, you laid down your life for your friends. So not only is it sacrificial, it's relational. Because there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd between friends, right? He would say later on in the night that he was betrayed, he's, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know the master's business, but I call you friends because I've made everything known to you from the Father. Because I trust you. You're mine. I'm yours. We're together. And so he shares at that level. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And then later on in John, when his friend had died and he received word that his friend Lazarus has died, he stayed where he was, still ministering for several days. And then he makes his way back. And he's met by the sister. And they have this conversation. Lord, if you'd have been here, you'd have saved him. But now that you're here, you can do something about it. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I do. I know that on the last days my brother will be raised up. And he's like, watch this. And he raises him from the dead. You see, this I am statement here is a statement of hope. And if they doubted hope in his words there, he's just like, wait, And if you're trusting in the future and you're wavering in your hope, let me show you an example of that right now that you can put your hope in me. Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. He says, you think we're going to raise from the dead in the end days, which we will. But now look at this example I just gave to you. Here's proof in the pudding. You can put your hope in me because it's certain because I am the great I am. I have the resurrection and the life. And I love her statement. She says, I believe. And as much as she knew in that moment, she believed. And then we know that they were there at the time of the cross and afterwards. They believed and they followed the resurrection and the life. And this resurrection still is to come for all who believe. It is a hope that is certain and it's not a hope that's a gamble. And then after the meal, right, in the upper room before he's going to pray and they're going to go out to the Mount of Olives... After he said, I go and prepare a place for you, trust in God, trust also in me. And he, and he tells them, hey, look, you've got reservations in heaven beyond your wildest imagination. He, and, and, and he says, and I'll come back. He says, Thomas, how do we know the way? How do we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one No one comes to the Father, Lord God Almighty, great I am, except through me, Jesus Christ. And in that, he reveals more of himself. I am the way. It is exclusive. There is one way, but it is open for all mankind who would believe. He is the truth. Absolute. He is the embodiment of God, the truth. And he is the way. And he reveals that to his followers. And he makes it possible for them to come through. 
if they believe. And he finishes the, the last of the I am statements in John with this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every other branches that do bear fruit he prunes so that they will be even more fruitful. You see, in the midst of our life and sustenance, it is paramount that we abide, we stay connected to the source of life, which is God. Here Jesus says that it is him, right? He is the vine and we are the branches. He says, abide in me, right? And all of the difficulties in our lives, I think, sometimes are testing, but, but he, his desire in pruning us when he disciplines us is to be more fruitful, It is to benefit not only us, but benefit him. And so when we're stuck, when we're not growing, when we're not healthy, he comes in with the pruning shears and he does a little cutting. And we don't like that. I don't like that. I would just say, give me more time, right? Give me more time and I'll grow out of it, right? He's like, no, 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 there's some stunted growth. There's some bad stuff. And yeah, we got to get the sap off of there. We got to let it bleed. We got to let it go. But we need life to come in and start healing. And he cuts. He cuts on purpose for fruit. Not for pain, not for punishment. To be more fruitful. He says, you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. Remain in me, and I remain in you. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know what's interesting in this? Several years ago, I preached on this um, section, and and I had the the privilege of of, uh, meeting with and interviewing the the vineyard manager for David Bruce Winery, which is up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I thought I would do some, you know, you know research, right? <laughs> Primary research. And in interviewing him, it's interesting to, to note that, that from beginning of planting to harvest of production of things that you could actually sell, it's, a, it's typically a five to seven year. But one of the realities of, of grapes is grapes don't grow on the root and they don't grow on the vine. They grow on the, on the branches. That's up in Napa. So was that. But the branch can produce no fruit unless it is connected to the vine, which is connected to the rootstock. And the purpose of the rootstock and the, and the, and the, and the vine is to allow the nutrients to come up out of the soil and everything that the, the branches need to bud and to produce fruit. Life. Fruit. See, the rootstock and the vine, they do their work. The, the, the gardener, he does his work. You know, the branches. The branches have to stay connected to the vine in order to to bear the fruit, but also to live out what it's intended to do. That's the purpose of the branch. And Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me or abide in me or stay in me or stay connected to me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
You will bear much fruit in your life as you, as you work through the sanctification process to become more and more like Jesus. And in so doing, it would be hard-pressed for me to see then how do I not take that and pour into the lives of other people so that I bear fruit in other people as well. Both in sharing who Jesus is in my inner circle and walking with new believers so they grow in the, in the maturity process as well is to bear fruit. That is the expectation of you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, that we stay connected and we bear fruit in our own lives and in the lives of other people. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've had some discussions with friends, right? I, I have some good friends that are, have their inner circle, and their inner circle um, are, this one I'm thinking of, are some atheist doctors up in the East Bay that are doing phenomenal work with, um, with AIDS virus in Africa. And they are doing a good thing. Will that last, and does that produce fruit into eternity? Outside of Jesus, no, but it's still, it's still a noble, it's still a good work. The hope would be that some of the Christians might come around and talk to these doctors, explain to these doctors, but work with those who are getting the drugs so they can hear the gospel message and believe or not for themselves. But apart, apart from him, anything that will last, treasures in heaven... Paul says that those things will be burned away. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words, my words that sustain you, that do not return void, that, God, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish. Prayer sustains, like we talked about. It'll be done for you. And this is for my God, Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And here's another key reality. The fruit that I bear, this isn't for my personal portfolio I'm going to bring to heaven and go, like, God, look what I did. I have no kingdom. I laid my kingdom down years ago. But he has a kingdom. And he says, come. Come work in my kingdom and help build something that will last through eternity and bear fruit in other people. Because that is the expectation of the disciple. It was the expectation of the son who modeled it supremely. And he says, now go and do likewise. But as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command, commands, and I remain in his love. You see, the reality of that is love and obedience. Jesus modeled it again, but now he's, he, I love how he changed that, the metaphor in some regards to fruit, from fruit to love. For certainly the fruit we produce is born out of obedience and love. He says, I, I did this for you because I love you. Which is the same thing he told Israel all the way through all the prophets and David and all through scripture. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with everlasting kindness. I love you. And he says, now I'll show you the full extent of his love. And he would lay down his life 
for his friends. His friends in that moment and his friends in this room today and his friends who are in our inner circle and his friends who have not even been born yet that will hear through our message because of his message. This is now remain in my love. Not just remain in the vine, but remain in my love. Not an obligation, not something that's a chore, but it should be born out of love. And I think when I'm doing that from a place of love, it is well with my soul. Whether I understand or not, it's for me to be obedient. Right? That even in the context of of this night, right, Jesus said, even I don't even know the time that the Father has set, but only he does. But yet I obey what he says to do. And then, as you know, he would go to this garden and he would have a significant time of prayer with the source, the great I am, of saying, is there, is there not some other option for this cup? Is there no other way? He said, no. It has to be fulfilled because I gave my promise long ago and I'm going to fulfill my promise. We are going to fulfill our promise as God go to the cross, and he went. The God of sustenance, the God who sustains, sorry that the font is small, self-sufficient, the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine. Who do people say that I am? You're the Messiah. What does that mean? I'm the great I am. Can you explain that further? Here you go. I love John for recording this. I love God for the way that he had John write that. He's my favorite gospel writer. But we do know because we have been given witness to the great I am, the God of eternal sustenance. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that regardless of our our wanderings, regardless of our waffling in our faith, regardless of our immaturity in our faith sometimes, or whatever it is, you still are. You're immovable, you're unshakable, you're secure, you are true, you are. And you see fit to provide for us, to sustain us, to bring us life, to bring us hope, to bring us ultimate fulfillment, to give our life purpose, and then even to give us the nourishment to produce fruit for your kingdom that we know your voice and you hear our prayer. God, I thank you that you have seen fit for those in this room that believe to take that step of faith, but I know that there are still those who are seeking and those who are not believing yet. But I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to each of us for what we need.
And in light of that, you are. You are the sustenance. You are the substance. You are the great I am. God, you know how many of us are grieving through losses. And you are the comforter. You know how many of us are are seeking your will to make decisions. And you light the way. You know how many of us need a touch to forgive other people and we're reminded you, you forgive. For certainly you forgave when you went on the cross. God, for whatever need we have, we lay that before your feet right now. And for each celebration on our lips, we share that right now as well from our heart. For you are worthy of praise. You are the way maker and you have.